Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. We're going to jump into the message, and so we're going to start off, I'm calling this talk today, a stiff neck cycle. Everybody say stiff neck. Now here's the deal, if you've never woke up with a stiff neck in the morning, you are blessed. Because how many of us know, when you wake up with a stiff neck, you know you slept wrong or something, and you wake up, I'm like going through my phone contacts, who's got the strongest hands to get in here. I got like this little Tylenol rub, and recently, I got these new pillows and different things, so I haven't dealt with it in a while, but we're not going to be talking necessarily about that stiff neck as much as we are going to be talking about a phrase, and believe it or not, that the Bible talks about a ton and it's called, it actually is stiff neck. So, and it's found well over a dozen times in the Old Testament. And it's also talked about in the New Testament. This, the, essentially, God calls people stiff necked. Now, obviously, we're going to kind of break down what that term means because it's not necessarily you slept wrong, woke up, and God's like, oh, you're, you're crooked necked people. Um, it's a little different than that. But before we do, uh, I want to tell you a little bit of story to kind of set the table of where we're going. A few years ago, I was helping out with a church in Boston, Massachusetts. And while I was there, um, it was funny because I was wondering, I couldn't find an Airbnb or a hotel anywhere. And uh, found out it was Boston Marathon weekend. And not only that, I had a friend running in it, ironically, that he saw I was there, hit me up. He's like, hey, I'm running in the Boston Marathon. Another fun fact, that f- friend ran the Boston Marathon barefoot. Now, here's what you got to realize. It was 40 degrees and rainy. And he ran, I don't know what it is, like 13 miles or something? Bare, 26. I've been going to the gyms now that they're open. Gosh, thank the Lord that happened. But I've been running on the treadmill, and I, like, hit a mile, mile and a half. And I'm like, God, why didn't you invent these? These are awful. <laughs> like, you run outside, and here's the other thing about running outside. You start running, and then all of a sudden you got to run back. Like, at least the treadmill, you can get off and be like, thank God, I'm done. It's like you're running around your neighborhood, and you're like, dang it, i got to go home. It's like, and nobody wants to see a jogger that's, like, jogging and then walking and then jogging. Like, suck it up. Get, get there. God, I hate running. If you like running, you're weird. You're weird. Uh, cross-country runners, John. Oh, ugh. <laughs> amen, Dan. Dan, amen. So I'm in Boston, and I'm at an Airbnb, and I remember they're, they're walking me through the Airbnb. The lady welcomes me in. And I just rented this little side bedroom, and it was right, pretty much the bedroom was about right here, and my buddy John Paul was with me, and the bedroom was right here, and then the kitchen, and then there was a bathroom off to the side, and the bathroom was really about 10 steps from the bedroom, and I remember I kind of had a long day, so I wanted to take a long shower, and I remember she said, she said, I work uh, at night, so I sleep in the day, and my husband works during the day, so really nobody's going to be here. I'll be upstairs sleeping. Um, but you can kind of, it's pretty much the place is yours. And so I remember I'm getting ready for the shower and I get all my stuff in there and I realize my towel's not in here. And you know what? In my mind, I'm like, why would I need to get redressed? I'm 10 steps from the bedroom. I know she's sleeping. I'm going to go get a towel and come back. So I poke my head out the, t- I poke my head out the door. I, I, I'm going to get there. I poke my head out the door. And I, why would you get dressed, right? It's cold, so I had layers on. I'm not going to get redressed to take 10 steps to get undressed. She's sleeping upstairs. I'm fine. 
10 steps, right? Go to the room, grab it, totally fine, walk back. I'm three steps from the bathroom, and all I hear is, um, and I turn around, I'm holding my towel, just, just like that, it's just like this. <laughs> she looks at me and she goes, we don't do that here. And I like looking at her, and I don't get embarrassed. But I was embarrassed. I look, and I'm pretty uh, quick of the tongue, as you would say. And so I'm like, uh, uh, left, I left the towel, thought I could grab it, thought you were sleeping. I'm sorry. She's like, do you do that at other Airbnbs? Just walk around in your boxers? Play, this isn't your house. Like, we don't do that. You don't do that places. She's like scolding me. I'm like, she's like sitting there like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry the whole time, just sitting there in my boxers. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, this is getting really awkward. I'm sorry. I'm like trying to back up, literally three quarters naked, talking to this Airbnb host. Long story short, I did get to the bathroom. I never used Airbnb again after that. Just kidding. Uh, but, but on the real, this lady, it was so funny because I remember I was like, oh, you know, I can make it. I'm fine. It's not that big of a deal. Just kidding. I much rather would have redressed myself. Went out, got the towel, and came back and undressed, then deal with that trauma the rest of my life. But the reason I'm kind of bringing that up is I think a lot of the times what happens is, is we have a lifestyle of following God, and we have a lifestyle of living in the world. And when we say, all right, God, I want to follow you, there are behaviors, mindsets, attitudes, and internal postures that God says, hey, we don't do that here. And man, it's a lot easier to look at God and say, well, is it really that big of a deal? No, it is a big deal. We don't do that here. And I really want to ask ourselves the questions, are there things that we're doing in our lives right now where we're saying, God, I want to follow you. God, I want what's best for my life. And in doing that, I'm going to be obedient to you. God, I want all that you have. But at the same time, we're not changing behaviors that we've been doing into the image and likeness of Christ. Because that's essentially what it starts with, is God having the authority to look at our behavior and say, hey, we don't do that here anymore. We don't function like that. We don't think that way. We don't talk like that. We don't do these types of things. See, that's your old self. You've got a new one now. And today, this stiff neck cycle, here's what you need to realize. You know the term stiff neck in the Bible is a term that would be used by farmers. And essentially what it described is it would be a team of oxen. And what they would do is they would obviously have like the reins that would lead the oxen and the ox cart. So they would have the reins that would speed them up or they would kind of steer the oxen cart. And then what would happen is, and they'd have the plow right on the back. And what would happen is, is the reins were for speeding up and for the direction. So right, if you you know, get all that. But here's what happened though, is if they had to use... If they had to use this, this, or if they were really stubborn, they would have to use this wooden pole, and on the end, there was a sharpened iron peg. How many of you guys know this sounds really pleasant? And what would happen is, is if the oxen were not responding to the directions of the one with the reins, they would take that, that iron peg, and they would jam it into their hind legs. They would jam it into their hind legs. And so essentially what happened is, is if you were a stubborn oxen, you would have this iron peg drove into you if you were going too slow or not doing what they wanted. And so, but here's the biggest thing, right? Is if you didn't respond to the iron peg, 
That is what they described as being stiff-necked. You would bristle up, the oxen would bristle up, stiffen themselves because they didn't think that the iron peg would go deep or they thought that they could protect against it. And so they would stiffen everything up so that that iron peg, and they would continue to not obey the direction of the one leading the cart. So pause, right? How many of you guys know this is, I'm not going to lie, I've had a few of these moments where, you know, I'm responding to the reins of God in my life. You know, go this way. You know, speed this up. All right, slow this down. But then there are certain areas that cause a little bit of pain where I realize that God maybe is trying to get my direction of changing direction, changing pace, changing mentality by maybe driving in that peg that I don't really want to respond to, but it's the only thing that can get my attention. See, stiff next cycles, what it really is, is it's God coming alongside your life. And essentially, when he describes stiff-necked people, what he's saying is, I have been driving this iron peg into you, and you are not responding. How many of you guys know? That's a little bit forward. It's, he's trying to draw an imagery that's like, you're not responding to the reins, you're not responding to the iron peg, and you are stiffening your neck against the direction I want you to go. That's a pretty deep meaning. And you want to know how a lot of this started is we actually are going to read. It's in Acts chapter 7, verse 51. And all of this started for me based on this one passage. This one passage, everything we're going to talk about comes right from it. Why? Because there's a man by the name of Stephen, and Stephen is kind of a big deal. I'm going to tell you this. If you don't know nothing about Stephen, like, I don't know how he got promoted to where he was, but he should have been. He was way overqualified. What do I mean is essentially there was some discrimination happening in the, in, the, in the food lines. And if you don't think the Bible actually addresses discrimination and profiling and things, believe it or not, it might. And actually not just might, it does. But, and so essentially what happens is all the apostles get together and they look and they say, all right, we need somebody who will manage this to make sure that discrimination is not happening. And so what happens is they look and it says they find a man full of wisdom full of knowledge, full of power, and anointed. He said, and you know what they do? You know, how many of you guys know, if I was in the church, and there was somebody, and we're like, oh, they are anointed. Oh, they are bold. Oh, they are a servant. Oh, they are, they are awesome. Let's put them in charge of the soup kitchen. I know, it kind of offends your mind a little bit. Why? Because not that the soup kitchen isn't a great thing, Road to Hope. We have, we have something similar to that here. But, but more than anything, what, what it is, is, is God's essentially setting this guy up as an example. And what you see is that he continues to rise through the ranks until one day these Jews come across him and they challenge his belief systems. Once again, we're talking about Stephen. And what they do is they start asking him questions, and Stephen gives this dissertation about how God has interwoven Jesus since the beginning, really, of the covenant, which is Abraham. And he walks through generations, 50 verses. And what you see is they're not interrupting him. These Jews are sitting there, and they're listening. They're engaged. They're, they're understanding that this man, he's, he maybe has a little bit of something to say. And he weaves through this story all about all these things that God did and, and God used generationally and all of this stuff. And then what happens is he closes with this verse. And here's what you need to realize. After this verse, Stephen is taken outside the gates and killed. So for 50 verses, everybody is paying attention. Everybody's listening to what he's going to say. And one verse decides if he's going to live or die. 
and it's this one. Acts 7, 51, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. Now so do you. Pause. 50 verses of Acts 7 is all about Stephen teaching these Jews the process and the context of Jesus' life and ministry from really the beginning of the covenant to then. But then he closes with that statement. You are stiff-necked and you are uncircumcised in mind and heart. Here's what you need to realize is that term uncircumcised is not just a medical term. It was a sign of the covenant of Abraham. And so essentially, if you looked at somebody of Jewish descent and called them uncircumcised, you're saying you don't have a mark of the covenant. You don't actually, have a, you don't actually follow the Lord. You don't have this, this heritage or this tradition a part of you. And it's really this derogatory phrase, but he says it in a different light. He says you have the physical mark of circumcision, but you don't have the heart transformation of it, and you don't have the, the mental disposition of it. That's an interesting thing to say to somebody. You know, you do all the stuff. You do a good job doing the stuff. But your heart? No. Your mind? No. You're stiff-necked. Now, do you think that passage of Scripture is enough to be killed for? Do you think that passage of scripture is enough for somebody to literally be dragged outside of town, grabbed rocks, and thrown at till they're crushed and killed? Not really. But when you look at the history of that phrase, when you look at what was going on behind the scenes when the Israelites were called that, there was a heritage and a history of what stiff-necked meant. And we're going to look at it right now. It says this, right? Exodus 32, 7 to 9. This is the first instance I found of God really calling his children or the people who follow him stiff-necked, which is people who are, once again, people who have not responded to the direction or the speed of how he wants them to go. They've ignored the, the bridle and the bit, and they've ignored the iron peg. Now, I'm not going to lie. You've got to be pretty stubborn to ignore an iron peg being driven into your hind quarters to get you moving. You gotta be pretty dang stubborn. So let's look at this passage of scripture. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And they have said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked squad. This, these people, God is up there talking to Moses, and he's like, hey, you got to go handle these dudes, because they are so, they have tightened themselves up to any direction of my, of, and really any input of my life. They have tightened themselves up to not respond to my prodding. They have tensed up and not allowed anything in that would redirect their life. It says this, Exodus 33, 3 and verse 5, Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Verse 5, For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up with you, I would consume you. Back then, sin was not something that, that, that Jesus had paid the price for. 
And so essentially, if God showed up on the scene, he couldn't be in the presence of sin without completely vanquishing it. So what you see is, actually, and you can kind of talk more about the traditions in the Old Testament and, and kind of what that entailed, but the priesthood was really the only one that had interaction with God outside of really a chosen select few because he couldn't be in the presence of sin. So what he's saying is he's saying, hey, I can't show up because there's so much stiff sin going on that nobody's addressing, that nobody wants to change, that nobody wants to do anything about, that it's making a big difference. And if I showed up, there's going to be problems. Now, here's the deal. It's not just found in Exodus. Moses and God go on to reference the children of Israel and the stiff-neckedness of them in Exodus 34.9, Deuteronomy 9.6, Deuteronomy 9.13, Deuteronomy 31.27, you know, David actually references it in 2 Kings 17.4. He references it in 2 Chronicles 38, in 2 Chronicles 30.16, and in Psalm 78.8. The major and minor prophets, which is essentially everything after that, that Ecclesiastes Song of Solomon um, plus spot in the Bible, you know, whether it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Nahum, Habakkuk, you know, Malachi, all of those guys, they reference it too. Nehemiah 9, 16 and 17. Nehemiah 9, 29. The prophet Jeremiah referenced it in chapter 7, verse 26, as well as in chapter 19, verse 5. Essentially, what you see is in the Old Testament, the children of Israel are called stiff-necked people. They do not respond to the direction of the bit and brittle. They do not respond to the iron peg. They stiffen up and they don't do what they're told. You know, and for me, I think a lot of the times, this, this passage of Scripture, once again, what it does is it incites a response. What we see in Scripture is the term stiff-necked, it incites a response that people just are agitated, they're angry, and how do we know this? Stephen's story. All throughout Jesus' ministry, he doesn't utter this one phrase, but... Stephen says it one time, and he's dead for it. You know why? Because everybody who, in Jewish culture, knew the teachings of the Torah and knew the teachings of the Old Testament, knew the teachings of these prophets, they could reference, oh, stiff-necked? That was not good in the Old Testament. That's what God called his disobedient and unfaithful people. That's what God called the people who wouldn't change. That's what God called the people who wouldn't listen. That's what God called the people who wouldn't do what they were supposed to do. Oh, you're not calling us that because that is bad. But when I ask you the question, right, is there things in your life that God has maybe called, told, compelled, or asked you to do, and you maybe haven't responded and maybe some of it's caused pain. Because here's what you need to realize about God, is if he's not going to get your attention, he's going to get your attention. <laughs> and that's like 100% serious. What I see a lot of the times, when people have a crisis of faith, you know what it comes down to? God trying to get their attention. They don't want to do what he wants, so there is a separation that happens. When people walk away from the Lord, it's not because God's walking away from them. It's because they're looking at him and saying, I don't know if it's worth doing all that you're asking me to do. That seems like a lot. You want to know what the definition of stiff-necked is in our culture today? It's looking at God, tensed up, and saying, I know you're telling me to do this. I know you're commanding me to do this. But I really don't want to. And so I'm not. Man, that's a... Now, none of us are going to sit here and be like, yeah, I look at God and tell him no all the time. 
Yeah, I tense up and look at God and say, nope, 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 nope. But do we subconsciously, internally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it is, do we look at God and, and look at his word and know what he's commanded, know what he's told us to do and just not do it? And not just do it once, but do it over an extended period of time. Because we may, listen, he's going to give us chances and he's going to give us chances. But at some point, he's going to try and get your attention to say, hey, you are not responding. And if you're not going to respond to me, then essentially you're living in disobedience and sin, contrary to my word. And I can't be in fellowship with that. You know, there's a passage of scripture that has been speaking to me a lot. And it's in Psalms chapter 18, verse 30. And it says this, this God, his way is perfect. I just want to focus on the front end of that verse. This God, his way is perfect. See, you know what a stiff neck cycle is? Is It's the ability to look at this verse and argue with it. Is God's way perfect to you? Do you believe God's way is perfect? Because if, if you do, then you know, okay, God, whatever you're asking me to do, I'm in line and I will do it. However, if we're looking at God saying, yeah, your way is perfect, but that. Oh, your way is perfect, but I'm not going to forgive. Oh, your way is perfect, but I'm not going to love. Oh, your way is perfect, but I'm not going to serve. Oh, your way is perfect, but I don't really want to give my time or my resources for anything other than my agenda. Oh, you know, man, it's just so easy to be in this place of wanting all that God has, but not really wanting to do anything God wants us to. If his way is perfect, we have to be able to admit that. Because in our culture today, it's easy to say this and then Monday through Saturday look at God and say, yeah, your Bible says your way is perfect, but I believe my way gives me the most life, gives me the most peace, gives me the most wholeness. And that's not how it works. And if you haven't come to that revelation yet, I'm not wanting to speak down or condemn you on that, but there will come a point in life where you look and say, man, left to my own devices, left to my own thinking, left to my own reasoning, I'm going to fail. So what I want to do is I want to give a couple symptoms of a stiff neck. The first one is this. We listen with a made-up mind. We listen with a made-up mind. A few years ago, I had a, somebody who was coming here, and they kept reaching out to me for marriage advice. At that point, I was not married. I was single. I had no marriage experience. Therefore, I had nothing to say. But fun fact, this person continued to call me, continued to call me. At that point, I went to my father and I said, Dad, this person is calling me a lot, asking me for marriage advice. Why aren't they calling you? And he said, they did try to call me. And I said, oh. And so I asked this person next time, I said, why don't you call my dad? He said, well, I went to your dad and we talked a little, but he told me he wanted me to write, read this book and listen to these couple teachings and get back with him on what I learned. And I just, I want it. we need to talk through and get through the problems. I don't need to do all that. And I remember I, I stepped back. I said, that don't make a lot of sense. And I remember I thought about it more and more. And the next time we talked, he said, you know, I want to talk. And I said, dude, so you're telling me you only want to change based off of how you want things to change and what change looks like to you. But anything that might challenge your time, your mentality, or your flesh, you're not willing to do. You don't really want to change. you got a made-up mind. And here's the deal. In our culture today, a mark of being an American citizen is a made-up mind. 
What, what does that mean? Here's the deal. In Scripture, you want to talk about Jesus? He could have all his conversations. He literally could read every person at any time. He didn't have to interact with anyone. He didn't have to listen. If he wanted to, he could walk up to every person and say, Odessa, do these five things. You're healed. Peace. <laughs> he could do that. Why? Because that was who he was. But you know how Jesus worked? Hey, Odessa, how are you doing today? Anything that I need help with? Anything we can help you with? Anything going on? And there was an interaction that would take place, and we could talk to her about Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. What Jesus, what he did, is he tested to see if people were actually listening. He would go, and he would have conversations and dialogue where he would challenge the faith of somebody and essentially probe their depth and ability to listen and change probe them to see, okay, you know what? Can they listen to me through this voice, through this person, when I command them to do this? There are so many examples in the Old Testament of God asking people to do things, and you know what people did? Naaman at one point is begging, begging to be healed of leprosy, a death sentence in his day, and Jesus says, oh, just dunk yourself seven times in a river. And you know what Naaman says? Or this isn't Jesus, this is Elijah, but you know what he says? He says, well, that doesn't, that's a dirty river. Man, a lot of the times what happens is we come to God and we ask and we want all this stuff. And God says, all right, you're going to need to do this. You're going to need to change this. You need to talk to this person because they're stronger than you. You need to maybe get around people who have a different viewpoint than you. And I promise we can make you a little bit more rounded and you'll be able to step into that act season. And we go, oh, I don't know about all that. Well, I don't know if I can talk to them because they might have voted Biden. They might have voted Trump. They might have said this. They might believe this. They might, they don't understand me. Man, if all we do is talk and interact with people based off of a made up, made up mind, we are missing out on the fullness of actually who Jesus is. Do you believe that God actually talks through everybody? Because I'm telling you he does. Yes. I am telling you he does. And if all we do is have a made-up imagination and mind of what God does and how God works, man, we are missing a huge portion of his character. The second thing is this. I need to take inventory of why I think, do, or respond in certain ways. I need to, man, I got to take inventory. Last week, I was taking out the trash. My fiance was having her bridal shower, and I was taking out the trash, and I had these huge sleeves on. And I remember thinking, they kept getting in the trash, you get wet. And I remember thinking, I said, God, or I didn't even say God. I said, man, why am I wearing these huge sleeves? And I felt like the Lord said this. He said, you wear those huge sleeves. Because growing up, you were always way smaller than everybody else. And so you wore big shirts because you didn't want people to make comments about how small you were. But guess what? You don't need to do that anymore because now you're six foot, 200 pounds, and you're completely fine. And I remember I'm like at the trash can just like, <laughs> God, I, I'm sorry. I'll go buy an extra small. <laughs> but man, wasn't it that moment? I'm... God, man, why am I doing this? Oh, that's deep, God. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to respond certain ways, and I felt the Lord say, you know why you're responding this way? Be still and know I'm God. All right, God, what is it? Why am I responding this way? Bam, bam, bam. Dang it. You want to know your strong responses are usually tied to truths that you need to change. Woo-hoo. Man, so many of us, all we can do is respond strongly, and God's like, I'm actually trying to get your attention to help you change. I'm trying to address, man, 
Micah, you're a little bit of a hothead. No, I'm not. <laughs> Micah, you're pretty competitive sometimes. Maybe a little too much. Stop. You just hate losing. <laughs> <laughs> Micah, sometimes you go, you cross the line. Yeah, right. You cross the line. <laughs> By saying that, I cross the line. We're, I will cross your line right now. <laughs> what, what am I trying to say, right? I'm essentially trying to introduce us to the point that, listen, we have to be people who evaluate. Why do I say what I say? Why do I do what I do? Why do I think what I think? Why? And if you're not willing to do that thing, chances are God might be driving an iron peg into your hind legs to get you going, and you're not responding, and guess what? It's not his fault. If we won't address our internal wiring, we can't be rewired. And we are wired to live superficially, to live out of the flesh, to live in a worldly culture. We are wired that way. And the kingdom way is way different. My last point is this. When confronted with biblical truth of what is acceptable or not, I don't change. You want to know symptoms of a stiff neck is when we can read the Bible and it actually says is, it, is the word of God cuts through bone and marrow. It cuts deep. And we can have it cut into our spirits and not respond accordingly. What do I mean by this? Well, the Bible says forgive seven times 70, but I can't forgive that person. Well, the Bible says love everybody and love my neighbor, but man, they are just way too different. Well, well the Bible says to serve people. And to sacrifice. But I can't do that for my spouse. They just tick me off right now. Maybe in another season. Man, how many times have we read the Bible and just wrote off what it says based off of our preconceived notions of how we function? I pray we are not people who look at God's word and first off, don't study it. And second off, don't apply it. Because this has to start with us. Man, a lot of us, we're functioning in maybe disobedience because we're completely biblically illiterate. We're saying, I want to follow God, but I don't actually want to listen to his word. I don't even want to know what he's going to say. For some of us, I have so many people who ask me all the time, how do you hear God's voice? In the beginning, it's just getting in his word. That's it, just getting his word. And for some of you guys, you maybe want a Bible reading plan or different things, come talk to me afterwards. I got one that I started five, six years ago that I still do to this day because it's important and it helps me. But I'm telling you this. Some of us were wondering, why doesn't God speak? Why don't I feel God? Why am I not in Why can't I? Why? Why? And God's like, just know what I've said. Just get in my word and do what it says. This week, I felt like the Lord said to me, he said, Micah, I said, Lord, how do I apply this to my life? How do I apply it? What do I need to do right now to apply this stiff neck? What have I had in my life recently that has, that has been stiffened up and I need to respond better? He said, Micah, you got out of routine of talking to random people about me. He said, you got out of routine. I know you're comfortable doing it. I know, you're not, you, you know that's a natural thing for you to do. But during COVID, it's just socially acceptable to not spend time with people in, in random situations and settings. And I want you to do that. That was Tuesday morning he told me that. So I prayed, I said, God, I am going to non-stiffen my neck up and I'm going to stick my neck out in the area that you're telling me to do. I want you to activate my spirit and I want you to activate my eyes to see needs. That was Tuesday morning. We have prayer from 9 to 10. That was about 
At 12.05, I'm going to lunch at this front office, and as I'm going to lunch, there's an Amazon worker that walks in and needs a package sign. I sign the package. She asks to go to the bathroom. I say, yeah, it's right here. As I'm walking away, the Lord says, there's your opportunity. I said, I'm going to lunch. No, you're not. Okay, well, I'll sit and wait for this Amazon worker outside the girl's bathroom. This is weird. <laughs> she walks out of the bathroom. You having a good day? It's okay. Anything I can pray for? You go to church anywhere? I just believe God loves everybody and wants to meet them where they're at. So I'd love to pray with you. Yeah, actually, two days ago, a very close family member of mine committed suicide. They had COVID, and we were all out there for a family reunion, and that night they took their life. My family's really struggling, and I don't understand it. But I'd love prayer. And you better believe we prayed right there, but what did it start with, God? What have I stiffened up? This is what you have. Okay, God, I will not stiffen it up. Give me eyes to see it and activate my spirit to walk out in the opposite way. And I got to pray for that girl. And I don't tell you guys that for you to say, all right, let's all do that. But at the same time, we have to be people who are willing to assess our why we do what we do. Why we say what we say. Why we function why we function. We have to be people who do not listen with made up minds. We have to be people who when we are confronted with biblical truth will change. Because if not, that cycle of living in a stiff neck, of being prodded by life's iron peg over and over and over and over, you'll never grow out of that season when God has so much more. Yeah. Let's all stand to our feet.